I don't always hug the pastors on the way to the pulpit, but I feel good about this one. Somebody said to me earlier something about my mom and dad. Then they corrected themselves and said, your uncle and aunt. And I said, no, that's about right. Uh, they are like second parents to us, and we thank God for them and for their faithful shepherding work in this church. Uh, I've met several new members this morning. I'm glad about that. That's exciting. And I want you to know if, if you're new to this church, God has brought you to a wonderful church family and a faithful pastor who preaches the Word of God. I think he's ready to get back to preaching. Uh, everybody else has been preaching this, this month, and so uh, I'm looking forward to him being back at it. But I'm honored to get to spend the last Sunday of this special emphasis month with you, and uh, glad to have my wife with me today. Uh, right as service was starting, she got up and came to the platform. I've never seen her do that before, and uh, Aunt Nancy sent her on a mission to tell me something, and I appreciate it. I thought she was coming to get saved, get right with God or something, but... I'll pray that'll happen later in the meeting, would you? <laughs> We're glad to be traveling together. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't mind you drinking out of my water, but the lipstick, that's a little difficult to... It's an inside joke. He said that to somebody else one time. I think they changed the water out, right? This is the holy water now? That's good. Very good. Well, if you were in the Sunday school hour, you know we're in a certain book of the Old Testament. And we're going to be there again this morning, and we'll come back to it again this evening. Let's open the Word of God together again to the little book of Ruth. Someone told me just a few moments ago during the fellowship time this was her favorite book of the Bible. Anybody else say Ruth is your favorite? I'm just curious. A few folks, that's good. It's a great one. And uh, it's not really about Ruth, it's all about Jesus, that's what it's about. All of the Word of God is to help us know the God of the Word. And so when you come to the book of Ruth, this is not just a story, this is the Lord's redemption story. This is not just the history of some family, this is a message to the family of God. And it reveals the heart of God and the love of God for sinners. Are there any sinners here today glad God loves sinners? And the Lord doesn't wait till you get better to love you. He loves you exactly like you are. He meets you exactly where you are. And praise God, he loves you too much to leave you there. He brings you to where he wants you to be. That is the picture we find in the little book of Ruth. Might I call it the gospel according to Ruth? Because that's what it is. It's a revelation of the grace of God. And Naomi, who is a believer, who knows the Lord, gets thoroughly right with God. How many of you think God's people ought to be right with God? Here's the amazing thing. When Naomi gets right with God, Ruth comes to know God. That's powerful. I'm convinced if we had more Christians getting right with God, we might see more lost people saved. I'm in churches every week, and they say, well, we'd like to see more people saved, preacher. We'd like to see more people saved. And then you got God's people living as if there's no reality of God in their life. I just want you to know, when Naomi comes home, she doesn't come home by herself. She brings Ruth with her. And so, if you want to see people come to Jesus, maybe all of us who say we know Jesus ought to get a little closer to Jesus. When Naomi gets home, Ruth comes with her, in the good providence of God. Aren't you glad for the providence of God? Years ago, I heard somebody say, the devil's in the details. How many of you ever heard that expression before? That is theologically incorrect. Satan is not in the details. If you're a child of God, God's in the details. We're not living by accident or coincidence or circumstance and happenstance. No, we're living in the good providence of God. And by the good providence of God, the Lord allowed this woman named Ruth, whose, whose husband has died... 
and she's left alone to cross the paths of a man named Boaz. And Boaz was a wealthy man. Boaz was a man who was related to Naomi and have the, had the means by which to bring Ruth into his family. He is what the Bible calls the kinsman redeemer. He is one of the greatest pictures of Jesus in all of the Bible. That's why I say when you open Ruth, you see Jesus here. Because this is a picture of what Christ does for those who come to him. One verse to begin. Look at Ruth chapter 2. Boaz is speaking to Ruth. Oh, Lord, speak to us. Look at Ruth chapter 2 and verse number 12. He says, the Lord. The Lord recompense thy work and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel under whose wings thou art come to trust. Now he's referencing the fact that she left her homeland, she left her family, she left her things, and she came with Naomi from Moab to Bethlehem, Judah, with no certainty of her future, with no assurance of what the next day would bring, with no certainty about where she would live or how she would live. And he says to her, I want you to know you made the right decision. This is powerful. It's interesting, but just at a glance, just at a casual reading of the book, you would think that Ruth's hope and confidence was in Boaz, but it is not. And it is Boaz, in fact, who tells us whose faith, whose hope, whose confidence Ruth was looking to. Who is it? The Lord is the one she was trusting. And here's the phrase I want to bring to, to you this morning. Would you mark it in your Bible? Take a pen out and mark this phrase in Ruth chapter 2 and verse number 12. Under whose wings thou art come to trust. Under his wings. Now, this is an amazing expression. Now, it's one that we don't use much, under his wings. But it is one that Scripture uses frequently because in that culture, they would have understood exactly, exactly what this man was saying, exactly what this woman had done. She had come to trust under the wings of another. Now, we're coming back. We're coming back to Ruth. So mark your place in Ruth chapter 2. Don't lose your spot. And go with me, please, to the Psalms for just a moment. I want to take just a little journey, then I want you to follow along with me. Now turn to Psalm 17. It's a prayer of David. It's a beautiful psalm. And right in the middle of Psalm 17, there is an expression in verse number 8. In fact, two really famous expressions. The first is this, keep me as the apple of the eye. You ever say to a child, you're the apple of my eye? That's the apple of his eye, meaning place of tenderness, place of special love. But look at the second half of Psalm 17 and verse number 8. Look at his prayer. Hide me. Where? Where does he want to be hidden? Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. Would you mark that in your Bible? By the way, that's a happy shadow. Usually when you think of shadows, you think of some dark, foreboding thing. No, no, this is a happy shadow. This is a hopeful shadow. This is a holy shadow. This is his shadow. See, wherever there's a shadow, there's a light. And the shadow that is being cast, watch this, is the shadow of one bigger than you. And David says, Lord, I feel so small. Aren't you the king of Israel? Yeah, but I feel so small. 
Well, don't you have an army? Yes, but I feel so weak and incapable. Lord, if you'd let me, what I'd like to do is get as close to you as I possibly can. Lord, let me get up close to your greatness and your strength and hide me under the shadow of your wings. You know, the longer you live in this world, the more the light of this world gets dimmer and dimmer. It's funny, when you're a kid, when you're young, you're full of so much uh, idealism and you, you think the world's perfect and everybody's going to be nice and everything's going to always turn out right. And, and somewhere you get sucker punched. That's what you get, don't you? You get slapped in the face with reality and uh, somebody lets all the air out of your balloon and you start realizing that this, this world is not all it professes to be and that Satan cannot keep all of the promises that he makes. But don't miss this. Instead of getting cynical, run to the promises of God and remember this world is not your home you're just passing through and the path of the just the bible says is as the shining light that shineth more and more into the perfect day for the child of god it's not getting dimmer and dimmer it's getting brighter and brighter the world's light is dimming but the light of another world is shining brighter and brighter to us it's almost like the older you get, the longer you live. The Lord lets this world get dimmer to you so that the light of the celestial city, the true light, starts looking more and more appealing to you all the time. And we don't have to wait till we die to enjoy the light. You don't have to wait till the rapture to enjoy Jesus. You can come under the shadow of his wings now. Keep in Psalms. Turn over a few pages to Psalm 36. See if you see a pattern here. David, again, praying. Look at Psalm 36, verse number 7. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. I love the fact there's an exclamation point there. You can tell a lot about a man by what he gets excited over. I got excited over a ball game last night. Let's just make confession. Confession's good for the soul. I got exercised last night watching a ball game, and about two minutes before the ball game was over, I got ticked off. And I said to my wife, I'm not watching it anymore, and I turned it over. And wouldn't you know, with 23 seconds in the game, my team came back and won, and I missed seeing it. It's awful, isn't it? And we get so exercised about a ball game. We get so excited and worked up over political things and all of that. I'm going to tell you, what you ought to be excited about is how great your God is. Get a little exclamation point back in your soul. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God, therefore. The children of men put their trust, read it with me, church, under the shadow of thy wings. I love this. He moves from the singular to the plural. David said he personally earlier he was trusting the shadow of the Lord's wings. Now he said all the children of men. Could I just say to everybody in this room today, every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl in the place, the Lord is trustworthy, and if you'll run to Jesus, you'll find there's a safe place under the shadow of his wings. Turn over a few pages to Psalm 57. Did you ever notice how many references there were? Look at Psalm 57, verse number 1. David's having a hard time. You know, you read some of these psalms, and they're so glorious, and they lift you to the heights, and you think, my soul, he must have written this while he was on vacation, just having a really nice week. But there's some of these psalms, like Psalm 57, he's in a cave. He's on the run for his life. He's hiding from King Saul who's trying to kill him. Look at verse 1. Be merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. And I like this, yea. That literally means yes. Aren't you glad in a world of nays there are some yeas? The Bible says in the New Testament that all the promises of God in him, in Christ, are yea and in him, amen. Christ is our exclamation point. Christ is our yea. 
Look at the yay. Yay. Read it. In the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. Can you see the storm? Look, the rain's so, so strong, it's, it's going sideways. You ever see it rain sideways? The wind is driving, and the clouds are foreboding, and the lightning is striking, and the thunder is roaring, and the storm is all around you. What are you going to do? How are you going to ride out the storm? You better find you a safe place. You better find you a refuge. Look, in times like these, we need a Savior. That's what we need. And David said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm getting under his wings. That's, that's a safe place to be. That's peace in the midst of the storm. That's confidence in uncertain days. Come over a few pages more to Psalm 61. Look at Psalm 61, verse number 4. Again, David's expression, I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings. Selah. Selah means stop and think about that. We preachers get carried away sometimes. and Let's just all pause for a minute. You don't have to be afraid of the pause. Pause and let this one sink in. Let it get down in your soul. Let it saturate your thinking. Look at the verse. He said, I'm going to trust the covert of thy wings. The tabernacle is the holy place. It's the place where you meet with God, get in his presence. Stop and think about this. That's a safe place. Look, please. Safest place in all the world is in the presence of God. If God be for us, who can be against us? Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Greater, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Pause and think about that just a minute under his wings. Look across the page at Psalm 63. Verse number 7. Because thou hast been my help. Now, because makes you back up to the previous verse. Look at verse 6. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. Did you know sometimes when the lights go out, uh, you, you get frightened? When the lights go out, it's not just little children that have that. When the lights go out, sometimes in the middle of the night, the most awful thoughts come into your mind. You ever notice that? You ever notice that sometimes in the shadows, in the darkness, in the still, in the quiet, when there's no noise and there's nobody talking to you, when it's just you laying in your bed, staring at the ceiling and wondering what tomorrow will hold and worrying about the future, th fear can grip your soul. He said, that's the very moment. That's the very moment you need to start thinking about God. Stop thinking about you. Stop thinking about others. Stop thinking about this world. Stop thinking about circumstances. Think on the Lord. Meditate on the Lord. And look at verse number 7. When that happens, the Lord will be your help. And in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. I love this. Look, in Psalm 61, there's refuge. But in Psalm 63, there's rejoicing. Look, I'm not just safe in the Lord. I'm singing in the Lord. The Lord didn't just make a way so you can get through, eek by, cross your fingers and hope for the best. No, no. The Lord makes a way so you can live in victory triumphantly more than a conqueror through him that loved you. How do you do that? You've got to get under his wings. Amen. Keep turning. Come to Psalm 91. Amazing, isn't it? Psalm 91, I don't think, was written by David. I'm going to tell you why. Very often, these psalms are put in pairs. And the old Bible teachers used to believe that if a psalm uh, did not have an occasion attached to it, very often it was connected to the psalm before it. Do you know what Psalm 90 is? Psalm 90 is the oldest psalm in the Bible. So old, David didn't write it, Moses wrote it. That goes back a ways. I love this. Look, please, our Lord's wings 
exceed all time periods. Every generation. It wasn't just David that came under the wings. Moses came under those same wings. And my conviction, Psalm 91, is really an extension, even in theme of Psalm 90. I think it would be written by Moses. But look at Psalm 91, verse 1. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, oh, can you say this? He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In him will I trust. Look, please, it is not enough that you say you believe in God. I'm sorry, the devil believes in God. No, he must be your God. He must be your Lord. He must be your Savior. It's not real till it's personal. Is he personal in your life? Look at verse 3. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noise and pestilence. There's a lot of noise in this world, isn't there? He shall cover thee. How will he cover thee? He will cover thee with his feathers and... Would you read the next three words with me out loud, church? Ready? Under his wings. Mark that in your Bible. Under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. You might want to mark in verse 1, the secret place. Under the shadow of the Almighty. And connect that to verse number 4. Under his wings. He's, He's using the analogy of a bird. There's a lot of birds in the Bible. Did you know that? Ravens in Scripture, they're devourers. They're the corrupt. They, they feed on death. And they're, they're never a picture of something positive. The dove, on the other hand, is always a picture of peace. Remember Noah sending out that dove and the dove coming back uh, with the olive branch in its mouth. There's hope. There's a future. There's dry land. God has kept his word. God always keeps his word. And the dove, the beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit of God, the eagle. Your pastor, I think, probably has made as thorough a study of the eagle in Scripture as anybody I've ever known. And uh, you walk in his office and you got eagles everywhere. As a reminder, they mount up with wings as eagles. I like that. I think, if I'm right about this, there are 55 different references in Scripture to wings. And this is fascinating to me. When you come to Psalm 91, you have this little play on words. Look at verse 3 and verse 4. You want to talk about a contrast? In verse 3, he says, he'll deliver you. That's dealing with the negative. He'll deliver you from the snare of the fowler. Anybody know what the fowler is? The fowls of the air. It's an old word for a bird hunter. I was on a plane the other day flying into uh, uh, South Dakota to preach, and I was sitting next to a businessman from North Carolina. And he wanted to talk. We talked about the things of God. And I said, what are you doing? And he pointed to a guy up there, and he said, that's my son-in-law. And he said, we're going hunting. And I said, what are you hunting? And they were going bird hunting. And he started talking to me about his dogs and, and how they hunt and, and all that kind of thing. I've, I've never really been a, been a bird hunter, but that's what the fowler is. He says, I want you to know that Satan, the enemy, comes trying to trap you. Look, God never traps a man. He trails a man. Surely goodness and mercy follows you all the days of your life. He'll trail a man, but he never traps a man. Satan and sin in the world is totally different. He traps you. He snares you. And the Lord says, I'm going to deliver you from that old bird hunter. Watch this. May I I say this reverently because I'm using the analogy of Scripture. There's a larger bird. Look, please. There's bigger feathers. There's a longer wing. Look at verse number four. He not only delivers you from the bird hunter, he hides you under his own wings. What a a savior we have. I wonder, are you living under his wings today? Let's go back to Ruth now because maybe now that you see this reference all through scripture, the little phrase will mean more to you. 
The wings, a symbol of strength and a symbol of safety in dangerous times. God's care and keeping of his children. Look, I don't want you to know something when you leave here today. I don't want you to just learn something. I want you to know someone. I want you to know God better when you leave here today. Do you know what the wings of the Lord are a reminder of? They're a reminder of his strength and his tenderness. On the outside, his strength against the enemy, against your past, against this world, against all that comes against you. On the inside, his tenderness, a warm place to hide. God says, may I say this reverently? Snuggle up next to me here. Get close to me, child. Look, please. You're not enough for this. You can't handle this on your own. But the Lord is more than sufficient. So you trust and you hide and you come under his wings. I know where you are physically today because I'm in the same place. You're sitting in this church, and you're in this particular town and this geographical location, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about where are you spiritually today? Are you near to God, or is there something between you and the wings of the Lord? Let me give you some thoughts. Would you write them down somewhere so you can chew on them when the meeting is done? When you, when you, when you leave this place, you can think on it through the day. What do you see in this expression, under his wings? The first thing I see is protection. God protects his own. Let me tell you what I don't mean by that. I don't mean by that that you'll never have any bad thing happen. Because, <laughs> in fact, in the very context of the text, in the very setting of this story, you've got a family that endures a famine. You've got a daddy who dies. You've got two boys who die. You've got Naomi who comes home broken. I'm not suggesting that if you get saved, you're never going to have any problems this old prosperity gospel, you know, health and wealth, name it and claim it. If you just pray a prayer, then you'll never have any trouble in your life. That's the furthest thing from the gospel. Look, as long as you're breathing on this earth, in these fallen bodies, surrounded by other sinners on a sin-cursed planet, you're going to have something to deal with. How many of you have any problem right now to deal with? Raise your hand, please, big enough. Any problem. Don't point at anybody. Just raise your hand. All right, good. We all got them. Join the club. Take a number. Get in line. I'm not suggesting you're not going to have any trouble, but I am suggesting that God will protect that which is most precious to you. Do you know what is most precious? Your own soul. He'll keep you from eternal loss. Look, you could lose your health today. You may lose your wealth today. You could lose the things dearest to you today. You don't believe me? Ask Job in the Old Testament. He lost everything that seemed precious to him, but he never lost God, and God never lost him. Look, please, God will take care of his own. Dale Moody had been preaching in Great Britain for a year. He was coming back to the United States, and I think it was 1892 or 1872, somewhere in there. He got on a boat <clears throat> in Southampton, and uh, about three days into their journey, uh, they had a major problem. A shaft on that giant ship broke in two, just sheared in two. And the boat stopped moving. And they're in the middle of the ocean. And this is, of course, long before the age we're living in now, long before the rescue efforts that are available now. They're stuck. They're stranded. And the boat starts to list. And suddenly, you've got all these hundreds and hundreds of people on this massive uh, cruise liner, this massive uh, boat that are starting to think about death. And Deal Moody was one of them. Moody asked, the people in charge of the ship, could I have a worship service? Could we have a prayer meeting? He said it was the most amazing thing. Everybody on the ship came to the prayer meeting. Isn't it funny how 
There's certain times everybody shows up for the prayer meeting. You announce a prayer meeting, a couple people show up, you know, and then you're stuck in the middle of the ocean and your boat won't move. Everybody shows up to pray. Fascinating. Moody said the boat was moving so violently in the stormy waters that he literally had to hold on to a pillar to keep from falling down. He said, I held on to a pillar with one arm and opened my Bible to Psalm 91 with the other. And he read the same scripture I just read to you from Psalm 91 about dwelling in the secret place of the Most High, abiding under the shadow of the Almighty, coming to trust under his wings. And D.L. Moody said, at that moment, God put fresh faith in my soul. He said, God did something for me. And he said, in the most dark, dangerous time of my life to that point, God brought, God brought such relief that when the service was done, he said, I went back to my cabin and I laid down and I went to sleep immediately. And when he awakened, another ship had arrived to rescue everybody on board that broken vessel. And he said, there was not a single soul lost, not a single person perished. And he said, more than that, I learned something about God's care and keeping from this expression, from the word that we can trust under his wings. May I just say this before I go any further? You are not safe if you are not saved. People say, I'm trying to find a safe place. There is no safety if you are not a saved person. You can get every bodyguard in town and put every security alarm in town and take every precaution you want to, but if your soul is not right with God, if your sins have not been forgiven, if you have no assurance of everlasting life, there's no safety. I don't care what you do on the outside because you've not been saved on the inside. But if you've been saved, the worst that can happen to you is somebody kills you and you go straight to heaven. If it all falls apart tomorrow... If it all goes to the bottom and you die and leave this world, you're going into the presence of Almighty God forever and forever because you are living now and you will live forever under the wings of our great God. There's a second thing, though, that I see in this expression under his wings. It's not just his protection. It is his provision. See, we get this idea, well, the Lord's going to keep the bad away. The Lord's going to keep me out of hell, and that's all true. And the Lord's going to deal with my sin. That's exactly right. Only he can. But it's better than that. He doesn't just deal with the negative. He replaces it with the positive. Look, look, please, at the verse again, verse 12. The Lord recompense thy work and a full reward. Man, I love that expression, the full reward. Now, you've got to re read to the end of the book to see what the full reward is. But it's not just material. It's not just monetary. No, no. It is, it's what money can't buy and death can't take away. It is the joy of the Lord. It's the peace of God. It's the personal experience of the grace of Almighty God. Look, please, under his wings, you don't just survive. You have his sufficiency because the Lord provides all that is needed. One of the things I noticed as I was meditating on these passages, especially through the Psalms yesterday, is the repeated emphasis and connection to this with joy. You know, we're living in a miserable world right now. We're the most drug generation in the history of the world. Suicide is up 200% from my father's generation to mine. I've never seen so much depression and despondency and despair. And I want to say to you, there is a joy that only God can give. Now hear me carefully. Sinners can be happy. They can be happy for a little while. Because there's pleasure in sin for a season. But the happiness wears off. 
the high of the drug, the, the euphoria of the experience, the, the, the thrill and chill of, of what you just got to enjoy that subsides. It goes away. There are happy days even for lost people because God is gracious to every man, to the just and to the unjust. There are days of rejoicing and days of celebration. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about happiness that ebbs and flows and comes and goes. I'm talking about the joy of the Lord that he puts down on the inside and nothing on the outside can affect that because you're living under his wings. There's a third thing I see in this expression. There's not only a protection and a provision, there's a picture here. Don't miss the picture. There's symbolism in the Bible. And the symbolism is not like children's storybook, fairy tale, fantasy. No, no. The symbolism reveals a reality. See, the Lord's a great teacher. He's just a master teacher. Nobody ever taught like Jesus taught. Nobody ever taught like the Lord taught. Why? Because he shows us what he's trying to say to us. He wants us to see what he is saying. Be honest. How many of you do better if you can see something? How many of you do better? Yeah. So we use object lessons, you know, with children in the children's church and Sunday school. But really, us old people need object lessons too. Somebody said, well, show us one. I'm showing you right now. Look at it. It's not my object lesson. It's the Lord's object lesson. It's the lesson of the wings. Can you see the wings outstretched? Can you see the wings outspread? Do you know what this is? It's a revelation. Now listen to me very carefully. Of the motherly heart of our heavenly father. In Scripture, God is spoken of in the masculine, in the he, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But could I ask you a question? Who put a mother's heart in Eve? God did. You mothers that are here, we just had our first grandbaby. If you want to see pictures, I've got a whole bunch after church I'd be glad to show you. And I watched Morgan Yesterday, that motherly heart, that motherly instinct, and then the grandmother's heart and the joy of it. Who put that inside of a lady? Can I tell you who did? Our Heavenly Father did. I love this. Our God is so strong, he can hold the world in the palm of his hand, hold it all by the word of his power, but he is tender and gentle with us at the same time. Do you see the motherly heart of our God? But I think it's more than that. I really do. Do you remember in a couple of occasions in the Psalms, uh, this under his wings was connected to being in the tabernacle. Remember David said, I'm going to stay in the tabernacle under his wings. And then in Psalm 91, we're going to the secret place. We're going to the high, holy place to meet with God. And that's where we'll be, under his wings. Now, use a little sanctified imagination with me for just a minute. In the, in the ancient tabernacle, in the ancient temple that was built, there was a holy place behind the curtain, the holiest of all. You couldn't go back there. But that's where God came down, and the glory of God was there. There was only one piece of furniture inside that little room. It was an ark, the Ark of the Covenant. You've heard of the Ark of the Covenant. And on the top of that ark, it all had significance, but on the top of that ark, there was a seat called the mercy seat. And that's where the blood was applied. The priest would put the blood there. It's a picture of what Jesus did for us. Christ is our mercy seat. We don't go to a tabernacle. We don't go to Shiloh now. We, we don't go into a little room with an ark. No, no. Christ is our great high priest and our sacrifice. 
When he died on the cross, he paid our sin debt once and for all and put his own blood on the mercy seat in heaven so we would have access into the glory of our great God. But, wait now, above the mercy seat, there was one thing. Above the mercy seat on each side, they were engraven cherubims, the, the angels of God, who always were connected to worship and were near the throne. And you can read it for yourself in the Old Testament description. See, nothing's in there by accident. This is all, this is powerful. The wings of the cherubim were outspread over that mercy seat. Look, please, where were the wings stretched out in the place where the blood was? Where were the wings overspread at the mercy seat? Let me tell you where you get to the safe place. Would you like to know how to get under his wings? Run to Jesus. Run to the blood. Run to the mercy of God. When you get to Christ, who is the very image of the invisible God, the express image of the Spirit of Almighty God, the one who is himself God robed in flesh, when you come to Jesus, you are coming under the wings of our great God. Would you look at Jesus on the cross? Those wings were stretched out on that cross. Look, please, they're bloody wings. Bloody wings took the nails for you. Took hell for you. Took judgment for you. Took the justice of a holy God for you. Why? So that he could make a way that he could gather us all together and shelter us from the wrath of God and the effects of sin so we could live forever under his wings. This, this really is the picture the Lord is giving to us. Oh, but there's more than that. There's not only a protection there and a provision there and a picture there, there's a person there. It's not an object. No, it is the Lord himself. Look again at Ruth chapter 2 and verse number 12. How does it begin? Read the first two words out loud with me. Ready? The Lord. Mark that in your Bible. Come down to the end of the verse. A full reward be given thee of what, church? The Lord. Sounds to me like it's all about the Lord. What do you think? It's always about the Lord. Everybody stare at your Bible. Please put your eyes on verse number 12. Is Lord all capital letters in your Bible? Yes or no? Yes, it should be. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Somebody say, well, that's nice. Some Bible printer must have done that to really make it stand out. No. No, it was written this way purposefully. Because this name is not like capital L, little O, little R, little D. It's a different name entirely. This name was the covenant name for God. Do you remember when Moses went into God and said, you want me to go to Pharaoh? Well, Pharaoh is going to ask on whose authority I've come and who sent me. So you're going to have to tell me your name. And God said, all right, just tell them I am sent you. I am what? Yes, all the above. See, I got to say I am and put something after it. He can say I am and put a period after it. He's the self-existent, self-sufficient, eternal God. I am that I am. That was Yahweh. You, you hear the name Jehovah? That's the name. It was, a, it was a name so sacred in Israel, they would not speak it out loud. Did you know if a, if a Jewish person were reading this portion of Scripture today, they would pause and they would not read the Lord. They would put another name in out of reverence for this name. Did you know that when the scribes were, were transferring and writing out the scripture, they were so meticulous about the writing of this name that when they got to this particular name, they would stop and take a bath. 
They would put on clean clothes and they would get a different pen to write this one name. That's what this name meant to those early believers. They understood this was the covenant name. This was the name of the God who not only makes promises, he keeps his word. It is impossible for God to lie. Can you hear him say at the end of the Old Testament, I am the Lord, I change not. Listen to the writer of Hebrews say, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. You see, the Jehovah of the Old Testament is the Jesus of the New Testament. People say to me sometimes, are you one of those Old Testament preachers or are you a New Testament preacher? Yes. Yes. It's, it's one God. There is one God expressed through his one only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The person is the God who makes covenant with his people. And we're not Israel, but hallelujah, we serve the same God of Israel. And, and this particular covenant made with David and, and that family, that's, that's not ours. We're the church, but we know the same God who makes promises and has made us promises and always keeps those promises. Oh, I don't want you just to know something about wings today. I want you to know something about the Lord when you leave here today. There's one other scripture. I really, really want you to connect to this. Go with me to the New Testament for just a moment, would you please? I want you to go to the book of Matthew, chapter number 23. I want you to connect the Old Testament and the New Testament in the same phrase, and Jehovah God and the Lord Jesus. Did you know this expression, under his wings, is only used by one person in the New Testament? Before you get there, don't, don't cheat, don't cheat. Before you get there, would you like to guess who used the expression, under his wings, in the New Testament? You got a little hint because we're in the gospel records, right? Jesus did. Look at Matthew chapter number 23 and verse number 37. By the way, this is repeated in Luke chapter 13. These are the words of Jesus. Look at Matthew 23 verse 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens. What's the next three words, church? Under her wings. And this may be one of the saddest phrases in the Bible. And ye would not. Do you know what this is? This phrase, under his wings. That's not just an expression of Boaz. These are Jesus' words. Whew. This is the heart of Christ. Do you know what Jesus says? I want you to come close to me. I want you to come close to God. And the only way to come close to God is I've got to bring you there under my own wings. Go, go back to Ruth just a second, real quick. Go back to Ruth. Now look at Ruth chapter 3. This is the next chapter, and I'm not going to preach it. <clears throat> we'll come back to the end of the book tonight. But look at Ruth chapter 3. Uh, she, she goes in, a different culture in that day. Uh, Boaz is lying down with his feet covered, and he, he finds a woman laying at his feet. It's interesting. I wish I had time to explain the whole culture of the day and the way they proceeded with it. Uh, look at verse 9. He said, Who art thou? She answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. She's asking 
if he would be willing to bring her into the family. In other words, take that skirt, take that blanket, and would you cast it over me? Oh, I love this. Did you know the word skirt in Ruth chapter 3 and verse number 9 is the exact same Hebrew word as wings in Ruth chapter 2 and verse number 12? Only two times it's found here. Look, please. Under his wings and under this skirt. Watch this, please. Who is Boaz? He is the picture of Jesus, our great redeemer. What does Jesus do? Oh, this is wonderful. He, he throws out the skirt. He throws out the wings. He, he reaches out to all who are willing to come to God, and he makes you a partaker of everything that he provides through his redemption. Under his wings. Will you just... Give me 60 seconds. Let me show you one more verse. Just one more verse. Go to the last page of your Old Testament. Go to the end of Malachi. Just before Matthew. Just before the blank space between Old Testament and New Testament. You know, Genesis 1 opened with perfect light. Remember that this morning? Perfect light. Genesis 3 plunged the world into darkness, the darkness of sin. And the rest of the Old Testament, it gets darker and darker. But when you get to the end of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, it ends with light. It ends with a promise of Messiah. Jesus is coming. Look at Matthew, excuse me, Malachi chapter 4, verse number 2. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise. I like this. Sunrise is coming. Is it dark right now, yes or no? Yes, it's dark. But sunrise is coming. Who is the sunrise? That's Jesus. Notice it's a capital S. It's a person, the Son of Righteousness, shall arise with healing mm, in his what? Now, if I had written this, aren't you glad I didn't write the Bible? If I had written this, I would have stayed with the analogy of the sunshine and the rays. He doesn't. He changes the picture here. He begins with sunshine, and then he goes to the wings. Why would he do that? Because this is the great theme of all of Scripture, under his wings. You remember the ancient children of Israel, they had to put little tassels on the bottom of their garments that would remind them of their God. Look, I love this. All the way down to the skirts, all the way to the edges, all the way to the circumference of life, to the peripheral things. Look, all of that is under our great God. This is how the Lord intended his children to live. Not in your own ingenuity and power, not what you can accomplish and make happen, not what somebody else can do for you, and not in the hand of the devil, praise God, not subject to the winds of change and the storms of life. You are living under the wings of our great and mighty God. You remember that woman who just wanted to reach out and touch the what of his garment, the hem of his garment, same word. See, I think she was confessing, acknowledging that day he was the Messiah. He was the one Malachi talked about. He was the one they would waited for for centuries. She said, I don't even have to just get him. If I can just touch the hem, the skirt, the, the wings of his garment, I will be made whole. And the moment she touched the wings, the hem of the garment, that moment, immediately she was made whole. I'm going to tell you why. Because the wonderful wings of our God reach for all who are willing to come. One final thought and I'm done. Would you write it down? When I think of this phrase, under his wings, I, I think of God's protection and his provision and his picture and his person, but I also see in it a principle. See, everything God reveals, we must respond to. So you can sit there and nod your head, but if you're not willing to make it your own, you've not responded. You can write it all down. You can go back and look at all the verses again, but if you don't make him your own, you've not responded. 
Could I share the most obvious thing in Ruth chapter 2, verse number 12? When I stop, you say the next word. Ready? The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art. What's that word, please? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. What's that word? One more time. Under whose wings thou art what? This is your theme, right? One of God's favorite words. Watch this, please. The Lord never puts his wings over those who are not willing. By the way, the world has no wings. There are no wings in Moab. Mm -mm. No, you must come to the Lord. And look at the end of the verse. Under whose wings thou art come to what? Trust. Did you notice in all those references in the Psalms, the connection of under his wings to faith and trust? I'm going to tell you why that is, because God's not going to force this on anybody. Well, you've got to trust Jesus for yourself. Nobody can do that for you. And if you say, well, I've been saved. Well, all right, good. Well, that's the starting point, not the stopping point. You've got to believe God right where you are. That just shall live by his faith. You've got to exercise your own faith in God. But as you come to the Lord and as you trust the Lord, you will find in the Lord all that you need under his wings. Would you take out your hymn book? Everybody find a hymn book, would you please? It's right there close to you, I think. I want you to find hymn number 60, and I promise not to sing, all right? So that'll give you something you can thank God for today. Would you find hymn 60? It's, it's not a well-known hymn. Maybe it should be much more well-known, but it is one of Charles Wesley's hymns. Wesley's hymns are full of doctrine and truth and Scripture because he knew the Word. I love this hymn. Look at Wesley's words. Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly while the nearer waters roll, while the tempest still is high. Hide me, O oh my Savior, hide. Till the storm of life is past, safe into the haven guide, O oh, receive my soul at last. Did you know Charles Finney? You know, do you know the name Charles Finney? A great revivalist. When Charles Finney was dying on his deathbed, he sang this song, sang his way out of this world. When D.L. Moody, that I talked about earlier, was being buried in Northfield, Massachusetts, the people gathered around his, his grave, and they sang this hymn at his grave. And here's the verse I want you to see. Look at the second verse. Other refuge have I none. Hangs my helpless soul on thee. Leave, ah, leave me not alone. Still support and comfort me. All my trust on thee is stayed. All my help from thee I bring. Cover my defenseless head with the shadow of thy wing. Can I tell you what the Lord wants? Not what I want, what the Lord wants. He wants everybody in this room to walk out this door in just a moment under his wings. But whether you do or don't is entirely up to you.